Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. We should be depressed. Kremlin advisor reveals shock over Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. Andrei Kortunov is a respected foreign policy analyst and advisor to the Kremlin. He is no apologist for the Kremlin but is not afraid to defend its actions if he sees fit, and we are used to seeing him on our news doing so. Not today. Not after this invasion. In an extraordinary interview, he said how he felt when he heard Russia had attacked Ukraine. I was shocked because for a long time, I thought that a military operation was not feasible. It was not plausible. Mr. Kortunov said it is essential Russia takes steps to end this war as soon as possible. My advice today, given the current situation on the ground, would be to turn a ceasefire into the top priority. We have to stop the conflict. To start with, we have to get to the negotiating table not just with Ukraine, but also with the West. Mr. Kortunov is on a panel of foreign policy experts who advise the Kremlin. Their briefing papers would have been read by Vladimir Putin, but the Russian president's more moderate counsel have been disregarded. I do not understand the logic he currently has. Mr. Kortunov cannot comprehend Mr. Putin's actions in Ukraine. I do not understand the logic he currently has his own rationale that justifies the actions that he made. It's hard for me to get into his thinking, what he really thought when he made this decision. Mr. Putin has narrowed his group of advisors to a small clique of securocrats, the Siloviki, or strongmen as they called, generals and spies. Those like Mr. Kortunov who had advocated greater integration with the outside world and greater prosperity, have been shut out. We tend to believe that the name of the game is development, but I can imagine that some people around Mr. Putin believe that the name of the game is survival. The implications are stark for Russia and the rest of the world. The Siloviki have told Mr. Putin the West is out to topple him. The sanctions and sharpening rhetoric will have convinced him further. If the priority is survival, his tactics may be all the less compromising. For Mr. Kortunov and those like him shut out of the Kremlin's decision-making, these are dark days. When he spoke to Sky News, Gon was the robust advocate explaining the nuances of Russia's actions abroad. Instead, he was a man who seemed beaten down by the terrible last few days. And he seemed to be speaking for many others. I'm depressed he said. I think many of us are depressed. I think that there are many people in the Kremlin who should be depressed because the price will be substantial and of course, you know, we should be depressed also because people are being killed. You know, it's something that we should never forget. China ready to play a role in Ukraine ceasefire. China signaled it was ready to play a role in finding a ceasefire in Ukraine as it deplored the outbreak of conflict in its strongest comments yet on the war. Beijing said it was extremely concerned about the harm to civilians in comments that came after a phone call between Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and his Ukrainian counterpart Dmytro Kuleba. 
Ukraine is willing to strengthen communications with China and looks forward to China playing a role in realizing a ceasefire, the Chinese statement said on Tuesday. It added that it respected the territorial integrity of all countries, without indicating whether Beijing accepted Russia's claim to the Crimean Peninsula or shared its recognition of separatists in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine. The statement marked a change in tone from Beijing. Asked on 24 February if the invasion represented a violation of Ukraine's sovereignty, a spokesperson for Beijing's foreign ministry characterized the situation as due to a combination of factors but did not describe it as a violation. In the days before the fighting started, the spokesperson also described the US as the culprit in the Ukraine crisis, heightening tensions creating panic and even hyping up the possibility of warfare. Last Friday, China joined the United Arab Emirates and India in abstaining on a UN resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine that was supported by 87 other countries. Moscow vetoed the resolution. At last month's Winter Olympics, Russia's President Vladimir Putin met Xi Jinping, his Chinese counterpart and declared that the friendship between their countries had no limits and there were no forbidden areas of cooperation. Some analysts say China is trying to position itself as a regional peacemaker, leveraging its close ties with the Kremlin. On Tuesday Beijing repeated previous calls for both sides to find a solution through international negotiations, but it maintained its criticism of NATO saying that regional security cannot be achieved by expanding military blocs. In a statement, Kubala said that he had asked Wang Yi to use the level of relations between Beijing and Moscow to force Russia to stop its armed aggression against the Ukrainian people. Kubala said his Chinese counterpart had assured him of China's readiness to make every effort to end the war on Ukrainian soil through diplomacy including as a permanent member of the UN Security Council. Wang also thanked Ukraine for its role in facilitating the evacuation of Chinese citizens from the country, including students who were moved to Uzbekistan. Ukrainian forces could run out of ammunition within days amid arms logjam on Polish border. Fears have arisen that Ukrainian units could run out of ammunition within days amid warnings that of a logjam of Western-donated armaments in Poland. Defense analysts have said that the willingness of NATO nations to offer lethal weapons to Kyiv risks being undermined by the slow pace at which Ukrainian forces are able to collect and deliver them to the front line, particularly in the East. Dr. Jack Watling, Land Warfare Research Fellow at the Royal United Services Institute, told The Telegraph. Now the issue is everything is building up in Poland in a big stockpile. Everyone is donating stuff, including the Germans, Finns. But NATO troops can't deliver it into the country. Ukrainians need to come in convoys to pick it up, from the Polish border, dot. A considerable lag has developed between the arrival of weapons systems and ammunition in Eastern Europe and its deployment on the front line in Ukraine he said. There are now concerns that Ukrainian units in Kharkiv, a city in the northeast, and Donbas, a region in the east, could run out of ammunition within days. 
The task of transporting equipment by road and rail to these areas is made harder by Moscow's growing air superiority over the country and the territorial gains of Russia's advancing forces, which is increasingly cutting off Ukrainian supply lines. A wide variety of weapons have been donated by the West, including law anti-tank missile systems from the UK, Javelin infrared-guided anti-tank rockets from the US and Estonia. Panzer Faust III anti-tank weapons from the Netherlands, and Stinger surface-to-air anti-aircraft rocket systems from Germany. However, NATO nations have declined to offer in-country logistical support to deliver the arms, as the risk of Western non-combat troops being injured or killed while transporting them could drag the alliance into the war. Highlighting the precedent of Russian military tactics in Syria. Dr. Watling warned that Moscow was likely to step up assaults on Ukrainian convoys collecting weaponry. Such attacks would involve Russia dropping ordnance very close to NATO's border, which risk a miscalculation or accident by Moscow leading to potential military escalation with the West. Time running out to resupply. There is now a genuine question about how long the Ukrainians have ammunition for. Dr. Watling said, adding, the Ukrainians had ammunition for 10 days at the beginning of the conflict. He continued, there is now more than 10 days ammunition in the country, but that's not actually with the frontline units. Units in the Donbas are a concern and the Ukrainians are already publicly saying they are running short of munitions in Kharkiv. Francis Tusa, the editor of Defense Analysis also raised concerns about the Ukrainians' ability to transport heavy weapons and ammunition to the east of the country. He added, ammo always is the problem. You can have masses, but if it's in the wrong place, you're stuffed. An additional complication for Kyiv is matching up the arms and equipment contributed by the West with Ukrainian units that know how to operate each specific model. Dr. Watling said of the donated material, you've got to get it to the front line, but also find someone that knows how to use that system. There are German rocket-propelled grenade systems, Finnish anti-tank capabilities, Dutch anti-tank capabilities, Swedish anti-tank weapons. None of this equipment is the same, so the process for loading and shooting is different. Former UK military intelligence officer Philip Ingram also stressed the importance of ensuring the West was contributing weapons the Ukrainians could use. Each weapons system is slightly different. Just because someone is a professional soldier doesn't mean they will know how to use any piece of equipment. There has to be an element of training he said. Colonel Ingram added, it's important the weapons system going in are ones they are familiar with, otherwise they are useless. That will be a challenge for them, the Ukrainians, on the ground. Weapons moving from the west. There have been sporadic sightings in eastern Poland of military vehicles and equipment moving towards the border with Ukraine. On Tuesday morning a convoy of six armoured vehicles was seen leaving the E-40 motorway, possibly heading in the direction of the railway town of Potemysa, where thousands of fleeing Ukrainians have been arriving over the past few days. The town is close to the Medica border crossing with Ukraine, 
which could provide a point of entry for military equipment being sent from the West. There have been other sightings of military equipment on the move, in some cases on unmarked vehicles, disguising their country of origin. On Sunday a convoy of four low loaders, each carrying one battle tank, was seen on the E-40 heading east from the Polish city of Atesso towards Ukraine. Atesso is just a few miles from the Polish military airbase of Atesso Jezienka where over the weekend IFC-17 transport planes made a number of sorties. There was little sign of large numbers of heavy military vehicles and equipment being readied at the airbase in advance of it being moved by road to the Ukrainian border, just 60 miles away. But the airbase, which is close to Atesso's civilian airport, is well placed to provide a staging post for the sort of equipment and battle vehicles desperately needed by the Ukrainian forces. At the Atesojazyanka airbase on Tuesday soldiers could be seen patrolling the tarmac and perimeter fence. Several armored cars and low loaders were parked near the airbase buildings. Car owner in disbelief at extortionate pound 31k bill for repairs at Nottingham dealership. An Audi owner has said he is in disbelief at being charged more than £31,000 by a Nottingham dealership for a new gearbox. Jim Street 34, who lives in Kingston-on-Saw in Rushcliffe, bought a 2017 Audi R8 Spider Quattro V10 from a third-party dealership nine months ago for £87,000. He took his car into Nottingham Audi on Lent on Industrial Estate on the 11th of February after it was serviced a few days prior at the same place. Mr. Street says that an initial service, including four new tyres and various repairs, cost £4,500. The car has around 24,000 miles on the clock. Not long after the service, he noticed the car was starting to make a noise which would get louder and more frequent the faster he would drive. He then took it to Nottingham Audi for the second time, where he says he was told workers would investigate and find out what was wrong. And on the 25th of February, two weeks after taking it in, Mr. Street was issued with a bill of £31,289.50 for repair work which included a new gearbox which itself cost around £29,000 including VAT. He said he is in disbelief at being issued the extortionate bill and it has caused him stress. Mr. Street said, I'm in disbelief, I've never had an experience quite like it. That's enough for a deposit on a house, who has that kind of money to give out and say here you go, crack on. It's a dream car for me and I'm having to pay for it and have not got it. Getting that bill was quite a shock and I've had to adjust to receiving such a bill. I ended up cancelling some engagements because of stress, it has made me feel low. I was expecting it to be somewhere between £5,000 and £10,000, looking at the parts on a new car it should not be that much. Mr. Street says he refuses to pay the bill and claims Audi could be trying to convince him to sell the car to them because of a line on the bill, which Nottinghamshire Live has seen, stating, we buy cars for cash and can settle any finance along with a contact number. He said, 
the amount of money I've been asked to pay is wholly unrealistic and extortionate. I've never seen a bill that high for a car repair in my life. I feel it's not been appreciated how much that is for a gearbox, and feel as though I have not been supported and a solution has not been offered. The dealership told me it's because the car has been modified, and if it had not been modified then the part would be free, but I have not been told of any modifications when I bought it and I have not made any to it. Alarm bells started ringing when I saw the offer to buy cars on the invoice, and it felt like saying they wanted me to sell the car at a lesser price, along with the astronomical bill. A spokesperson for Audi UK said, Audi UK is aware of the situation regarding Mr. Street. Nottingham Audi has diagnosed the vehicle and found that the vehicle's performance has been modified beyond the factory specification. Audi UK agrees with the findings and can confirm that Nottingham Audi will be in touch with Mr. Street in a bid to try and resolve the matter. What is a thermobaric weapon? Putin accused of using devastating vacuum bomb. As Russia continues its horrific actions in Ukraine, Putin stands accused of using a devastating weapon known as a thermobaric bomb. These devastating weapons are capable of vaporizing human bodies and reducing buildings to rubble. They work by sucking in oxygen from the surrounding air to create a more powerful high-temperature explosion. As well as an increased blast, a so-called vacuum bomb produces a large pressure wave. Because of their destructive power, they are rarely used. But it's been alleged that Putin has used them against Ukraine. Oksana Markerova, Ukraine's ambassador to the United States, told reporters after meeting with White House lawmakers on Monday that they have been deployed during the ongoing incursion. She said, they used the vacuum bomb today. The devastation that Russia is trying to inflict on Ukraine is large. How does a vacuum bomb work? Both the United States and the Soviet Union developed thermobaric bombs in the 1960s. A regular explosive uses a process called oxidation in a confined region to create an explosion. The weapon mixes the explosive fuel with an oxidizer to create the blast. However, a thermobaric bomb consists of almost 100% fuel. It uses the oxygen in the surrounding air as an oxidant that results in a far larger explosion. However, because it relies on the air around it the kind of yield from a vacuum bomb can vary. The explosion will depend on how well the fuel is dispersed, how rapidly it mixes with the surrounding atmosphere and the initiation of the igniter and its position relative to the container of fuel. Similarly, Thermobaric bombs can't be used in certain weather conditions, at high altitudes or underwater. But they can be exceptionally deadly in urban or battlefield warfare. They can also be fitted to both vehicular and handheld rocket launchers. Although not specifically illegal, the use of vacuum bombs and cluster munitions, which release smaller amounts of shrapnel over a wider area, is widely condemned. Amnesty International say international humanitarian law prohibits the use of inherently indiscriminate weapons such as cluster munitions. 
The organization saws launching any indiscriminate attacks that kill or injure civilians constitutes a war crime. More than 100 countries have committed never to use the weapons under the Convention on Cluster Munitions, including the UK but neither Russia nor Ukraine have signed the agreement. Agnes Calamard, Secretary-General of Amnesty International, said, It is stomach-turning to see an indiscriminate attack on a nursery and kindergarten where civilians are seeking safe haven. Reports claim TOS-1 rocket launchers capable of firing thermobaric weapons have been spotted among Russian troops. One Western official said their presence is a cause for considerable concern, the Independent reports. The official added, certainly, if it is used in any built-up area, there is no way you can eradicate the risk of significant civilian casualties. There has been no official confirmation that thermobaric weapons have been used in the conflict in Ukraine and Ms. Markarova did not reveal where the bomb she referred to was used. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said she had also seen reports of them being unleashed, adding, if that were true, it would potentially be a war crime. Pavel Kuzmenko, the mayor of Akhturka, a small city northwest of Kharkiv, claimed a vacuum bomb had been dropped on an oil depot there. He said, a vacuum bomb has been dropped on an oil storage depot, containers with oil have been torn off. The enemy vilely uses vacuum bombs banned by the Geneva Convention. Dad took £30,000 from his disabled daughter then refused to return her dog. A dad who plundered £30,000 from his disabled daughter and refused to give her dog back has been jailed. Christopher Hughes dipped into a fund which was supposed to support his daughter Holly who suffers from cerebral palsy. Holly decided to leave the family home after discovering what had happened, but her dad was not finished yet. In a sick twist, Hughes refused to hand back her pet Labrador Elsa. It was revealed during his trial at Maidstone Crown Court in Kent. Recorder Andrew Walker QC said, She placed trust in you as her father and carer. She was a woman with a physical disability. When she found out what you had done, she left the house in such a hurry that she did not take her dog with her. The dog had been bought with part of that inheritance. You then refused to give back the dog on several occasions. Holly's money had been inherited from an uncle and was placed in a trust fund in her name. But Hughes, who has been her registered carer since she was five years old, had the PIN number and card for the account. He began dipping into the account in 2017 and by March, 2020 had burned through £29,000 leaving almost nothing for Holly. The 60-year-old, who describes himself as a functioning alcoholic, claimed he started taking the money to cover mortgage repayments, but then used some on himself. He also said he didn't want to give her dog back because he did not believe she could take care of it given her illness. His barrister Simon Smith said, he is deeply ashamed of what he did and is sorry for what he did. He made admissions to the police from the outset. He also said Holly had written to him because she was concerned about his drinking problem, saying, I am worried that you will die like mom did.
I am begging you to get help. Mr. Smith pointed out Hughes was now in the process of returning the missing cash after releasing equity from his home and it should be completed within a month. The dog was also returned at a previous court hearing. Holly, who watched the proceedings from the public gallery, told the judge in a victim impact statement that she was devastated and traumatized by the experience and said it had affected her mental health. Before sentencing, the judge paused to check whether putting Hughes behind bars would have a negative impact on Holly's welfare. Prosecuting, John Connor discussed the matter with Holly before confirming that it would not and the judge promptly jailed Hughes for 18 months. Addressing Hughes, who had admitted two theft charges from his own daughter, he said, I am told that you are deeply ashamed and sorry about this. I accept that you feel shame but I am less convinced to the degree you feel remorse about the impact on Holly. This is so serious that only a prison sentence can be justified. He also ordered an investigation under the Proceeds of Crime Act. Everton urged to cut ties with Usman Orf by MP. Everton have been urged to cut ties with billionaire Alicia Usman Orf by Chris Bryant. The Labour MP who last week said Roman Abramovic's assets should be seized. Uzbek-born Usmanov is not officially involved with Everton, but his USM firm sponsors the club's training ground, while another, Megaphone, is Everton women's main shirt sponsor. The 68-year-old on Monday had his assets frozen by the European Union in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Speaking on Tuesday in Parliament, Labour MP Chris Bryant said he expected Usmanov to be sanctioned by the UK in the near future, and added he believes the same prospect has left Blues owner Roman Abramovic terrified. Last week in the House of Commons, Bryant said Abramovic should have his assets seized. I am not a politician, Thomas Tuchel appeals for Roman Abramovic questions to stop FIFA. UEFA suspend Russia Everton investor hit by sanctions how pressure built on FIFA, UEFA to ban Russia, boycotts, bans and more. Bryant on Tuesday said, Alicia Usmanov has already been sanctioned by the EU but not yet by the UK. But I suspect he will be pretty soon on a UK list and Everton should certainly be cutting ties with him already. Roman Abramovic, well. I think he is terrified of being sanctioned which is why he is already going to sell his home tomorrow and sell another flat as well. My anxiety is that we are taking too long about these things. I have a suggestion about what might help. I fear that the government is frightened of lawyers' letters from all these oligarchs' friends. One way to circumvent that is if ministers just read into the record a proceeding in Parliament all the sanctioned criteria, and then they'd be protected. Sky Sports News has contacted Abramovica's representatives. Usmanov released a statement on Tuesday via the International Fencing Federation where he was president since 2008. The statement read, On 28 February, 2022, I became the target of restrictive measures imposed by the European Union. 
I believe that such decision is unfair, and the reasons employed to justify the sanctions are a set of false and defamatory allegations damaging my honor, dignity, and business reputation. I will use all legal means to protect my honor and reputation. I hereby suspend the exercise of my duties as the President of the International Fencing Federation effective immediately until justice is restored. Anger as Preeti Patel says Labour MPs cannot be trusted with security briefings about Ukraine. Preeti Patel has sparked anger by suggesting Labour MPs cannot be trusted to receive security briefings about threats to the UK from the crisis in Ukraine. The Home Secretary made the comment in defending her claim that the UK cannot be more generous to refugees fleeing the Russian invasion because of the strongest security advice. I'm sure if the party opposite wanted a security briefing from our colleagues, we'd happily provide one she told Labour, during a Commons statement. But, at the same time, I'm very sceptical of how they treat and respect security advice. The allegation came despite Ms Patel, infamously, being sacked from Theresa May's government for holding secret meetings with the Israeli government. Angela Eagle a Labour MP and former minister, called the comment disgraceful as Ms Patel failed to explain why security concerns rule out welcoming more refugees from war-torn Ukraine. Jackie Smith, a former Labour Home Secretary, tweeted, that's an unwarranted slur on the current opposition and unworthy of a Home Secretary. Ms Patel hit out as she was forced to backtrack partially on her refusal to open the door to more Ukrainian refugees, apparently under pressure from Downing Street. More family members of Ukrainians in the UK parents of adults, grandparents, adult offspring and siblings will be eligible, instead of just spouses and children. And individuals, charities businesses and community groups will be able to sponsor Ukrainians to work in the UK, outside of normal rules on salaries and language spoken. However, Ms Patel is still refusing to waive visa rules as the EU is doing and she admitted she had no idea how many people would take up the UK's schemes, or how quickly. Boris Johnson has claimed up to 200,000 Ukrainians could come as family members but the Home Office has been unable to say how the estimate has been reached. Ms Patel told MPs, we should be very honest and level with everyone, we do not know the numbers of people that would seek to come to the UK. The Home Secretary again insisted security fears stand in the way of a more generous policy, pointing to the chemical weapons attack in Salisbury in 2018. Russian troops are seeking to infiltrate and merge with Ukrainian forces she told MPs, adding there are extremists on the ground in Ukraine. Given this and also Putin's willingness to do violence on British soil, and in keeping with our approach which we have retained consistently throughout all emergency evacuations including in Afghanistan, we cannot suspend any security or biometric checks on people we welcome to our country. We have collective duty to keep the British people safe and this approach is based on the strongest security advice. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support. 
We hope to see you again next time.